Welcome back, everybody, to another episode, episode five of So Many Screens, a pop culture podcast brought to you by Wash Media. I'm your host, J.R. Hickey, coming to you for the last time, for a long time, from my studio in San Francisco, California. I'm joined, as always, by my lovely co-host. She has no use for a cardigan right now. Cat Pat, how are we doing today? I'm good. I'm coming to you live from my childhood bedroom. So this is an interesting experience. The color of Cat Pat's childhood bedroom, what would you describe it as? It's, well, what I went for was Tiffany box blue, but it's like, <laughs> it's teal. It's, it's turquoise teal. Uh, that's a color I haven't seen on a wall probably ever. <laughs> and that's what made it so funny. Well, it was, it was very, yeah, it was very popular in like 2009, which is when I must have done it, probably a little earlier. But Fair. yeah, here we are. This is going to be a special episode of So Many Streams because we've spent our first four episodes talking about streaming, TV, movie watching opportunities. But this is going to be an all musical episode of So Many Streams. And that is due in part to our queen Taylor Swift dropping out of the clouds a brand new eighth studio album on Thursday night, Folklore. So it's all music, all episode. We got a lot we're going to cover. We're going to do some folklore talk up at the top. We're going to talk about some of our favorite movie soundtracks. And we're also going to get into just our musical pasts. Some concerts we've been to, our favorite albums, our first album we ever bought. And uh, we'll see what happens. What do you think about that, Kate? Sounds like a plan. And yeah, let's let's do it. <laughs> so there's probably been, at this point, too much talk about Taylor Swift. So you're listening to this on Tuesday. We're recording this Sunday evening. You've probably exhausted yourselves of the Taylor Swift machine, but we got to talk about this album because up until this point, and I'll I'm going to cede the floor to you in a second here, Tate. Okay. Up until this point, Taylor Swift made music that wasn't for me. It was never directed at me. It was never for me to listen to. Obviously, like my wife would listen to it. I knew some of the hits. There was a there was a moment where like I was into some of her popular stuff, but then she just kind of passed me by because she should. I'm a 32 year old male. Kate, this album is for me. It's like she came back around and was like, I'm making this one for the adults. Yes. Well, okay, so it makes sense because... So her first album came out in 2006, which is... I was going into ninth grade. And now we're here, so it kind of feels like her music has grown up with her, with her fans, and it makes sense. Like, I don't think I could go back and listen to her debut album and relate to any of the lyrics at all. But when she was singing about, like, being 15 and, you know, falling in love with these boys, at the time I was like, this is the most relatable thing in the world. Oh, my gosh. But, yeah, now these songs are, like, her songwriting, I think, is really good. And I think that's her yeah. strong suit. So I definitely love the more, like, adult themes and lyrics. I think she did a beautiful job. Overall, I really like the album. Some of the first songs i like didn't love i loved more of like the second half of the album but all in all she she came back with a bang this album was released just on friday july 24th through republic records it was only 11 months after her seventh studio album lover the album was created in complete isolation because of the covid lockdown with production from aaron desner from the national jack antonoff and taylor swift herself it is a completely surprise album there was no promotion there was no lead up it was just announced on social media and dropped on friday there's something really cool 
about baseball coming back last week and the whole world being like, sports are back, let's go. Kanye West is talking about dropping an album that Friday. And then, like I said earlier, out of the clouds, Taylor Swift just swings her hammer down and just takes over the world conversation. I love seeing it. Yeah, and the thing she normally does is she'll leave little Easter eggs leading to an album. That's what she did with her last album. She left, like, little hints and clues, and she redid her Instagram, so it all had to do with, like, the theme of her album. So we knew it was coming. This, no one had any idea, which I like. That's rare for her. And it's funny, because when you talked about, like, our lockdown and our just our state of minds right now, just a surprise like this does a lot. I bet if I was just leading my normal life, going to my job and commuting and traveling and seeing friends. This album probably would have gone more under the radar for me, but because there's nothing else to fucking do but sit around, I listened to this album like five times since Friday. Okay, so you listened to it way more than I have. <laughs> I, I've listened to the whole thing once completely, and then I went back and listened mm-hmm. to some of the songs that I feel like I either didn't pay attention to fully or ones that I really liked. But also, like you were saying, if this were just a regular year, I don't know if I would have listened to the whole thing. Like last year when she came out with Lover, I remember I put it on. I was driving to the bank to go close out my account. And I was just like, oh, this kind of sucks. Like, this is boring. So that's yeah. like what I think about when I think about Lover. But now it's kind of making quarantine a little bit better. Yeah, it's like this soulful indie alternative rock kind of chamber pop album tons of piano tons of guitar riffs it's really vivid in its storytelling lyrically and it has these like third person songs like betty i honestly like really respect her a whole hell of a lot more now now let's talk about taylor as a cultural figure up until this point i didn't have much respect for her i always thought (laughs) she was kind of a basic b punchline Mm mm-hmm Seeing her at award shows, dancing around, always, like, doing this, like, aw, shucks, look at me, I'm just a normal girl. Like, after a decade of that, it just was so fucking phony to me. Kate, obviously your feelings on her have got to be stronger than that. What do we think of Tay-Tay as a cultural person? So I used to love her. Like, I really liked her music in high school and early college. But when, I don't know, I think it might have been, like, the Kanye West Mm -hmm interrupting her at the VMAs thing that kind of like turned me off to her even though I know technically she was the victim but like then after that I feel like she changed and became very like woe is me Kanye's this terrible person I don't know I just feel like she then came out with a bunch of songs that were like all about hidden meanings and all of these things and it kind of like I don't know I, I thought she just played the victim a lot and then another big thing I didn't really like about her is that she never took a stand on like any political or social issues, sure. which a lot of people were like, well, you have this huge platform. Maybe you should say something mm-hmm. like anything. Um, but recently she's been doing that. Yeah. And she's been like a little more outspoken about social issues in the world and in the country. And that made me respect her a, a whole lot more. And people weren't expecting that. They were like, oh, well, Taylor Swift's like this little innocent blonde singer like she doesn't need to talk about social issues or politics or whatever but i mean now she's pretty outspoken so i love that about her um but there was also like a while where i was either anti taylor and then i was like team kim kardashian and kanye west yeah same 
Or then there was just like a period of my life where I just didn't really like care about her. Yeah. I was just like, well, I'm kind of like, I like her music, but I don't love her. Uh, I'm indifferent. But now I'm back all in on Taylor. Yeah. I'd say I was in on Taylor around 2012 to 2014, like Red in 1989. Some real catchy shit. I, I'm a sucker for like yes. a catchy pop song, no matter what. No matter who it's aimed for, no matter what age group, if it gets taught in your head and you can sing it while like doing chores around the house, I'm in. Mm. I remember going like on a road trip with an ex-girlfriend and her playing Red in 1989 and loving it. And then, yeah, the... The whole Kanye Tim thing, them kind of exposing her as a fraud, very calculated on their part. Now, granted, Kanye is in his own fucking galaxy right now, so we don't really have to get into that. But it did make me sour on her. And then when Lover came out, uh, the music video that she did for, and you'll know the name of the song, like the oh, the, you need to calm down. You need to calm down. Where she had made up with Katy Perry, featured yes. all of the guys from uh, Queer, Queer Eye. Eye. Yes. I, 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 I'm not, you know, I have a lot of close day friends here in the Bay Area, and they're like, this is fucking phony. They're like, this is so calculated and so, like, her trying to, like, you know, do what Lady Dada did, but, like, do it, like, uh, artificially. I can see that. I, I soured on her until Friday. <laughs> see, I hope no one makes fun of me, but I actually love that song. And I love that music video, but I can totally see how it's phony. Yeah. I just thought it was, like, very fun, and I love Queer Eye, so... There you go. Should we, we should do a whole Queer Eye episode of uh, So Many Screens. Oh Maybe when God. they come back. Um, I know they have uh, uh, a new season in the works right now. I My number one celebrity crush is Anthony from Queer Eye. Yeah. And he, the sad thing is he'll never have a crush on me. I'll be honest with you. I, I think he's my number one celebrity crush. I have a better chance than you do. Yeah, <laughs> Yes, you do. But, I mean, he is. Come on. I know. He's perfect. All right. We're tangenting a little bit. But of the five Queer Eye guys, <laughs> Anthony's number one. Who is your least favorite of the five? I don't have a least favorite. Like, I feel like Bobby is the one that kind of gets forgotten about the most. But he does the most work. 100%. like, flips their freaking houses, and he gets no love. He really does. He's like, if you think about the actual work that he puts in, he puts in 85% of the work on these houses being renovated. (laughs) He really does. Who is your least favorite? So I'm not trying to be controversial with this, but Karamo is, like, the culture expert, and he, like, teaches Mm -hmm. them how to be confident and... He tends to, like, always make things a little more inflammatory than they should. And also, it's like, Karama, what are your actual qualifications? You were, like, <laughs> on MTV reality shows in the early 2000s. Like, Anthony's a chef. Ha- he has a restaurant. Bobby is an engineer and an interior designer. He builds fucking houses. Tan's this famous stylist. Like, these are guys who have, like dedicated their lives to it and Karamo's just like well you uh you wear your baseball cap backwards sometimes so like you're in charge of culture it just feels like he's not as qualified I can see that I mean Anthony sometimes he'll be like (laughs) his recipes I mean they're supposed to be simple because they're for the everyday man but sometimes it just cracks me up how he's like this grilled cheese is going to change your life yeah he's like have you guys had guacamole and they're like what (laughs) it's just back to Taylor yes which songs off the album spoke to you okay i liked the song exile a lot i think the internet is on board with that tape yes that's by far my favorite song yeah and i listened to it in the car today which was way better than listening to it with headphones let me just say that that third verse with bonnie vare when he comes in with like the full chorus behind him is that Mm -hmm. is a car driving like belted out song 100 percent. yeah i was like oh my god i think i'm gonna cry 
<laughs> it's really good. Um, yeah. I like Invisible String. Yeah, that's my number that's two. That's a great song. Ah, okay. That's like my silver medalist. I loved Invisible String. I liked My Tears Ricochet. And at yes, first sorry, I sorry. didn't... I was going to say, at first I didn't like love it, but then I wasn't really paying attention to it. So I listened to it again and I was like, okay, yeah, this is top three. That's number one for me. Just something about it. It's like about loving someone until you die and how they hate each other, but they love each other. It is so like heartstrings tugging. It's a little melodramatic, but not in like a fake, false, or like immature way. It seems very adult to me. <laughs> and your number two was Invisible String? Yeah, 100%. And what's your number three? I'd say Exile for me, yeah. I I, I don't think these are like in like the perfect order. Again, I've only listened to it right. like four or five times <laughs> while I've been packing up my apartment. But what are our thoughts on Cardigan? Is it, I think Cardigan's a little overrated. See, I said I didn't really love the first half of the album. Mm-hmm. And I mean like the first three songs mm-hmm. I didn't love. So I'm, I'm kind of on the same page with that. Yeah. She released a music video at the same time. So this was like a pre-calculated thing. Cardigan is going to be her like single off of the album. And it kind of falls flat to mm. me. Yeah, see, I didn't love Cardigan. Like, when I first listened to it, I would add the songs to my library that I liked. So mm-hmm. I'd go back and listen, and I did not add Cardigan. Well, there I you mean, go. <laughs> I'll, I'll watch the music video, but didn't love it. Cat Pat, is Taylor Swift mm-hmm. back? I say she's back, but I think a lot of other people are going to say that she never left. <laughs> I'm being serious. Like, there are diehard stands. Yeah, and I, again, like, I wouldn't say that, like, this album was particularly aimed at either of us, but the fact that it captured both of us, you were a little out on her and I was way out on her, and the fact that we've come back around on her, I think the stands have grown immensely in three or four days' time. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I think this whole new genre for her was huge. Like, if she came out with another generic pop album, yeah. I would have been out on that. But, I mean, I also kind of do wish there was a few, like, bops in here. Like, Shake It Off. I love that song. Can't deny Shake It Off. No. I I love any song from 1989. So I do kind of miss that era. But I think this was perfect for her. I also think, and I've said this before, but I also think it's perfect during quarantine. She's not going to tour for this album. It's not going to happen anytime in the next two years. So it's there's no reason for her to come up with a poppy dance chart-topping hit. That's true. Despite all that, Folklore has broke so many records in this time we're in right now. Really quick, a couple of those numbers. It garnered over 80 million Spotify streams on the first day. It broke the previous record held by your best friend, Ariana Grande's Thank You Next, for the (laughs) most opening day streams for a female artist. On the U.S. Spotify charts, the top 16 places were inhabited by the 16 songs from Folklore. I mean, this fucking album just took over the audio waves broke all these apple music records it's the most streamed pop album within a 24-hour period with 36 million streams and republic records has reported that folklore sold 1.3 million copies globally on its opening day 1.3 million people paid money for this thing damn i mean there's almost no artist that i would pay money excuse me that i would pay money for their album that sounds really shitty but i mean everything's on spotify yeah to Spotify Premium, nine ninety nine a month. Exactly. All right, so that was our Taylor Swift talk. There are other places on the internet where you can get much more in detail. You can interpret the lyrics. You can talk about, you know, this album versus that. But we just wanted to give our takes because this is what occupied people's screens over the weekend. After the break, 
Kate and I are going to talk about some more fun music topics, our favorite movie soundtracks, some of our own music listening pasts, and a lot more. So stay tuned. So before we dive into our favorite movie soundtracks, let's talk a little bit about just our musical histories. I'm I'm a little trepidatious because people sound stupid when they talk about like their favorite concerts and their favorite albums and people did like Edos and I don't want this to be like the JR and Cat Pat like comparing notes like hour. It's just it's not fun. Also, you're yeah. five years younger than me, so we do not like the same things. I am going to be mentioning artists that you've either never heard of or that like you knew were popular but never got a chance to listen to, and vice right. versa. Yes. I had to give that disclaimer. I, I just don't want this to be like, oh, the worst part of this week's episode of So Many Screens is when Cat Pat and JR just like talked about what concerts they've been to. I don't want to do that. <laughs> Yeah, mine are very, I mean, they make sense for my age. Let's go back a little bit. Kate is how old? She's 10, maybe 12. She's got a little money in her pocket. What was the first CD slash album you ever bought? And did you even do that? Am I completely aging myself with that question? No, I mean, the iPod didn't come out until I was... I think in middle school. Okay. So, yes, no, I I definitely have CDs. In fact, my dad yesterday when I came home was like, hey, by the way, uh, don't leave without <laughs> letting me know if I can throw all these CDs away or if you want to keep them. Uh, and they're all like my old like S Club 7 yep. and Backstreet Boys CDs. So, I don't, I doubt I bought this myself. But the first CD I ever owned was Backstreet Boys Backstreet Back album in 1999. Iconic. I, I think that was the first one. But I, I think the first one I ever bought myself was S Club 7 in 2000. <laughs> Where did you buy it? Where did that money come from? Like, paint us a picture a little bit. <laughs> okay, so this could be totally wrong, but I, I'm, I'm almost positive that, well, you know, when you go to visit your grandparents, or at least for me, when I would go to visit my grandma, she would always, like, slip me like a $20 bill. Like she would go to like yeah. almost like shake my hand or like hold my hand and then she would just like slip a 20 in there. The best. And so I feel like she did that. And then the next day she took me to the store, which used to be called, I think it was called Noodle Caboodle. <laughs> <laughs> and then they rebranded to Zany Brainy. Yeah. Oh no. I know exactly what Zany Brainy is. That is such a throwback. Yes. <laughs> Zany Brainy went hard. I wanted to go there like every damn day, but I they went had to like Zany their Brady. own version of Legos. What they were called something. See, I was just really into like the crafts mm -hmm. and the CDs. But I remember I I'm pretty sure I bought my S Club Seven CD there with my grandma in Westchester, New York at Zany Brainy with her money that she had just given me the day before. I could be so wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's what happened. That is a moment in time. Zany Brainy <laughs> was a retail store owned by FAO Schwartz, the toy company. They sold educational toys and multimedia products aimed at children aged 4 through 13. Games, puzzles, books, audio cassettes, CDs, and arts and crafts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there it is. That's it, yep. And yeah, I remember calling it, it, it used to be called Noodle Caboodle. Yep. 
And when they rebranded, I wasn't as in on it, but still, I mean, great times. They went bankrupt in 2001. R.I.P. Zany Brainy. Aww. That is sad. <laughs> I'll age myself a little bit here. So my first CD I bought, I think I bought these, like, together. You know, either with, like, my lawn mowing money or... I famously had to do a job when I was 12 because my dad thought I was lazy. He's like, you're lazy. I'm like, I'm 12. <laughs> He's like, you're going to do a job at this uh, ball bearing factory that my buddy owns. And I drove a forklift as a 12-year-old, which was broke all sorts <laughs> of labor laws back in the uh, early, early 2000s. So I was making $6 an hour at that warehouse. I probably took my money, rode my bike to Sam Goody, which was uh, an old. Oh. Do you remember Sam Goody's? I remember, yes. I think it might have been before my time, but I remember, yeah. like, knowing the reference. Yeah, Sam Goody was, like, a multimedia music, you know, like, the pre-Best Buy, like, local around the corner place. And I bought two albums in 1999. Now that's what I call Music 3 and Astro Lounge, the second album by the American rock band Smash Mouth featuring the <laughs> decade-defining song All Star. <laughs> Love that song. Do you remember now that's what I call Music 3? Yes, I definitely have that one. I, I have so many now <laughs> albums. I actually think I still have three in my like CD car holder thing. Like in your car? Like it's in like a little, one of those CD books. Okay. Like a little oh. binder that you unzip. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's in there still. I, I have thought it was so in many. rotation. If you had that in like a, a disc changer, <laughs> you're like, oh yeah, I just listened to it yesterday. I'd be like, whoa. No, I definitely have it though. Wasn't the cover like grayish, purplish? Yeah. Uh-huh. It was a departure okay. because now and now two were both like orange. So the fact that the third one was yes. gray, that made it super special. <laughs> <laughs> I had literally all of them, I think. I mean, that defined every year of my young life. Do you know how many there were before they uh, went to Font? I've got an, I've got the number for you. Seventy. Seventy-five. Wow, Cat Pat, oh. you should go to the casino. That was that was super close. <laughs> <laughs> well, I knew there was a. I knew there was now sixty-nine. Oh wow! I mean, I know. The internet. I mean, I, I saw that and I was like, that's hilarious. Oh my god! But okay, that makes sense. Seventy-five. Wow. That is so many. Yeah. Now 3 had, well, it had Smash Mouth All-Star as the first song on it, which I don't know what I was doing. I basically already bought that album. So, you know, there I am wasting money. Lenny Kravitz, American Woman, Blink-182, What's My Age Again, Britney Spears Sometimes, and Backstreet Boys, All I Have to Div are the first five tracks mm. off of. I'm looking at the track list. I remember listening to this album in my Walkman on the way to school, listening to... To Nookie by Limp Bizkit. <laughs> and just like not knowing what any of the lyrics meant. Thinking I was so cool for listening to like a rock song. Yeah. And now looking back, I'm like, how did my parents let me go to school with that? <laughs> Nodding your head out at the middle school bus window listening to yes. Fred Durst. That song and oh, there was another one. Um, oh, Fat Lip by Sum 41. Iconic. Yes. I didn't understand what any of the words meant, but I just knew it was a cool rock song. What I liked about Sum 41's Fat Lip, the single, or maybe it was the album that was off of All Tiller No Filler, if you put the CD into like your computer CD-ROM drive, you could watch the music video. On like, you know, it was like mm. 120p resolution and like a pixelated like <laughs> box that was like three inches by three inches. But like my friends and I 
We'd come inside with our Slurpees after playing out on the driveway for seven hours in the Midwest heat, and we'd, like, watch that music video on repeat and be like, this is the height of living right now. Oh, my God. This is bringing me back to so many memories. Are you familiar with the Britney Spears Baby One More Time album, the CD? Yes, of course. I was a, I, Although I was, like, not her primary audience, I certainly became aware of her, as every young boy did at the time. Well, I was going to say, she didn't have music videos on that CD, but each CD was, like, a different color combination. Yeah. It was, like, a green CD with, like, a pink flower on it, or some of them were, like, blue and orange, or, like, pink and white. I don't know, but that was, like, the cool thing. You would see, like, what color CD your friends got, and yeah. then you would compare. That's such yes. genius marketing, because they just, all these 12-year-old girls are like, I want all five colors, I'll buy it five times. <laughs> Exactly. And I don't, I don't think you knew what you were going to get until you opened it. That's so it was cool. like a mystery. That's cool. Yeah. Oh, great times. Before we move on to our favorite movie soundtracks, what was the first concert you ever went to, Kate? This is not going to be a surprise, <laughs> but it was also Backstreet Boys. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember my mom surprising me with tickets, and I was going with my classmate, who also happened to be my neighbor. Mm-hmm. And her mom and my mom went, and apparently my neighbor and friend at the time like fell asleep in her chair but i was standing on the chair like blowing kisses at the stage i got the guys like they were gonna fall in love with seven-year-old me (laughs) wait your Uh, friend who was your age like fell asleep during the concert yes i remember her falling asleep and like me having the time of my damn life she's not a true bsb head no that was my first concert britney spears was my second and then the next Backstreet Boys was my third concert. Wow. I mean, that's that's on brand, Kate. I hate to tell you. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. It was the 90s. I was young. If, if I was a betting man, I would have bet on one of those, on an insane to Backstreet Boys or Britney Spears. Two out of three ain't bad. What else would it be? I will say Everybody, or the song, as most people know it, is Backstreet's Back, is one of mm-hmm. the best pop songs of all time. That's on, like, the top ten pop song charts ever. It still goes so hard. Yes, it does. I haven't listened to it in a long time, but now I'm just thinking of like when the music rises to the beginning. Yep. Yes, that's going to get me hype. Put it on a barbecue, put it on a boat. I mean, the conversation will stop and people will get in a formation. <laughs> that's, that's really accurate. <laughs> so I never really went to concerts when I was young. I'm the oldest of five. My parents were too busy trying to raise five of us to, like, ever, like, take me to a concert. So the first concert I went to wasn't until high school, and that was in 2005. I went to the Tom Petty For the Hell of It tour. He reunited the Black Crows, and the Black Crows opened for Tom Petty. I was 16 years old. I went with my high school classmate, Derek. We drove to the Tweeter Center in Tinley Park, Illinois. It's no longer called the Tweeter Center. And... We saw Tom Petty, but at the time I liked, you know, I liked free falling and learning to fly. I liked these like radio hits and I got there and watched and couldn't get into it because I was like, he's just playing the guitar the whole time. I just was like, I was in this like, I was in the wrong stage of my life to fully appreciate what I was witnessing. So it's really kind of a bummer to me because I like to tell people my first concert was Tom Petty. and like, Oh, that's so sick. You must be so cultured you must have such great taste in music and i'm like no i kind of was a shitty high school kid and i'm pretty sure i left early because it was like too long it's probably surrounded by a bunch of old people smoking pot and i just didn't didn't vibe with me at the time i did see tom petty later on and i'll bring that up as we continue which would you say was your 
most favorite live music experience. So you, that's your first concert was Backstreet Boys. Yes. But of all the concerts you've seen since, in your 20 years plus since then, <laughs> so which one, in your opinion, was your favorite? This is really hard for me because I feel like every time I see a concert, it becomes my new favorite. But <laughs> this is hard. I'm going to say my favorite was well, I was going to put Casey Musgraves. Okay. Which was amazing. Love her. I'll get into that later. But I think for concert experience, I'm going to go with Fantagram. Wow. Are you familiar? I'm familiar with like one of their remixes and it's incredible, but like set the stage for us a little bit. Okay. So they played at this pretty small venue in upstate New York, in Clifton Park, New York. Uh, it's called, well, it used to be called Northern Lights. Now I think it's called Upstate concert hall upstate music hall mm -hmm. but they're from saratoga county new york so that's very close to where the concert was so it was kind of like their homecoming show um it just I, it was in 2017 i somehow could not get a damn ticket so i had to drive up to queensberry new york to meet someone to buy his tickets off of him and that's like over an hour north of where i lived Yikes. and we were meeting at the police station but I was like, I'm going to get murdered. Yeah. So the concert happens. I'm with my younger brother. I'm like, I'll buy a Spears. You go save us a spot. It's standing room only, like that kind of show. So he gets us a spot in the front row. And we're just in the front for the entire show. They're playing like some of my favorite songs. Like this is one of my favorite bands. So I was yeah. so happy. I don't know. Like the lighting was amazing. Like, I don't know. I was just so happy to be there. See this band that I've wanted to see live play some of my favorite songs i'm right in the front so i could not possibly get any closer and i think about that concert all the time they've collaborated with bid boy from outcast they've opened for all j yes. they've opened for m83 these are like really cool for lack of a better word artists to be aligned with i'm not super familiar with their music but i know that like the one or two songs that i do have on one of my spotify playlists are bangers and i'm gonna check them out i'm not this isn't like our recommendations segment, but uh, no, I <laughs> I gotta dig deeper into some Fantagram. This, this sounds pretty good to me. It's great. Another runner-up, though, hmm. way underrated. Well, it's not really underrated, but I saw Santana last summer, oh, and yeah. I was not expecting to have a great time because I'm like, oh, Santana, oye, como va, <laughs> woohoo! But <laughs> but he shreds. Yeah. I mean, I was blown away. That was a great show. Very different, though. He's from the Bay Area, and so he performs often. Halftime shows at Warriors games. He did a big charity concert when there was a fire here in uh, Santa Rosa. I've seen him a couple times, and like people have great stories about just encountering him on the street. Um, legend, one of the best guitar players of all time. Yeah, I mean, I was not expecting to be a Santana fan, but he blew me away. But but what's your favorite? Okay, I went to a music festival in Southern California called The Desert Trip. This took place on the Coachella Polo Grounds. So Coachella Music Festival, mm. everyone knows it. I go to it every year in April. It's always over my birthday weekend. It's down in Palm Desert, Indio Valley area. So I always go to that in April. But this happened in October of 2016. They were trying to create what they were calling Old Cella. So they had six acts over the course of three days. And those six acts were Rolling Stones, The Who... Paul McCartney, Pink Floyd, a.k.a. Roger Waters, Neil Young, and Bob Dylan. And instead of like a wow. normal festival setup where like each one of these artists would play for like an hour, they play the hits, and then another artist would come up, each night 
you've got two two and a half hour concerts from two of those artists. So one night it was the Rolling Stones for two and a half hours, an hour long break to read fresher drinks, and then it was Roger Waters playing all the Pink Floyd stuff for two and a half hours. This was my uh, yeah, I mean, to me. You can't top that. I was blown away at A the like setup. This place was run like a fucking clock because it was all aimed at like let's be honest, like boomers. It was like people in their like forties and fifties who have like grown up on this music, who have a ton of money. So like place was immaculate. The seating was great. Everything was super fucking expensive in terms of like the concessions and the souvenirs, but these audio, we had like lawn seats in the back. We were sitting on folding chairs on a lawn. Didn't matter. The, the who sounded like it was like 30 years ago. Paul McCartney's doing all the Beatles songs. I, I was literally like transfixed. And it, it also, like, captures a really interesting time in my life where the Cubs won the World Series, like, three weeks right after that. And then something else really did happen for me that I, I'm forgetting. But it, it, it represents a really good time in my life. So it's this concert plus all that. They said they were going to do it every year, and then they couldn't figure out the money side of it, and it never happened again. I weirdly got to see, like, the only old cella experience where all these bands came together, and uh, I'll never forget it. Damn. Yeah, that's you can't top that, I don't think, ever. It's funny because a lot of people were like, oh, I'll, I'll catch it next year. And then it just never happened again. And I'm so, I'm, I've, oh, no. There's something really bad about that mentality when it comes to music to me. Because if I've done and I'll catch it next year, a lot of times it never happened and or the artist usually dies. Yeah, I, I heard you have a curse. <laughs> yeah, so this is something I've talked about on Twitter for a while. I'll keep this as short as possible because we're talking a lot about our musical backgrounds. And I do want to get to our favorite movie soundtracks shortly here but i saw avici the night my wife and i met in vegas we met at an avici show it's every girl's dream to dream come true to meet a guy blacked out drunk in line at a club um (laughs) when you're seeing a world famous dj so for our one year anniversary we went to ibiza in spain i think we talked about this last week when we were talking about white lines so we saw avici in Ibiza at Ushuaia, a famous day club. Kaido, who wasn't as well-known at the time, opened for him. Really fun, great party experience. And then, a year and a half later, Avicii committed suicide. Okay, a year and a half. Like, that's not that bad. That's not that much of a coincidence. Like, And I'd seen him before that, so... You know, and he was a guy who a lot of people saw. He toured often. He performed every night of the week at a different club around the world. So, that's a weird coincidence. A year and a half. Two years later, I saw Matt Miller at Coachella. It was on a Friday that he oh, performed, and I'm a big Matt Miller fan. I mean, let's be honest. I'm a white guy who was in college in the uh, mid-2000s. So I really liked him. It was a good set. And then six months later, he killed himself. And that was weird because, I, had, you know, as I mentioned, I'd just seen Avicii, and he had killed himself within a short time period after I saw him. I mentioned earlier that my first concert I ever went to was Tom Petty. So I saw Tom Petty perform at the Greek Theater in Berkeley. In August of 2017. It was the second to last show of his most recent tour. We were about to not go because it got rescheduled to a Monday. I'd been traveling that weekend for something. I was feeling just kind of tired in general, but we decided to go for that exact reason I was telling you about. You never say, like, oh, I'll catch him next time. Because (laughs) six weeks later, he killed himself. Or I'm sorry, didn't kill himself. He died from a drug overdose. I keep saying these people killed themselves. By overdosing on drugs, I think that's kind of the same thing, but not... Yeah, I don't know, but oh my god. This is becoming more than a coincidence now, isn't it, Kate? I'm, I mean, how many more are there? I'm nervous. There's one more, and this is a really big one. In 2016, I'm uh, 
on Twitter, as I am, and I see that Prince is doing a surprise pop-up show at Oracle Arena, where the Golden State Warriors used to play, in March. So I find tickets at the last second, I buy them, my wife and I go, happens on a Tuesday, something like that. Within three and a half weeks, Prince has overdosed on painkillers. This was his second-to-last show that he ever performed. I saw back-to-back Tom Petty and Prince's second-to-last shows, and within a calendar year, Matt Miller and Avicii's last shows. I'm the musical Grim Reaper. If you guys want an artist to die, just send J.R. Hickey, and he'll go see him, and then they'll die within a calendar that year. That is so eerie. I'm, like, legit <laughs> freaked out. And I really don't want you to ever go see Casey Musgraves. <laughs> don't worry. I'll, uh, you won't catch me. I go to Coachella every year. I see a lot of artists. I see a lot of music. But this is becoming more than creepy. This is becoming like, oh, this might be a problem. Like, I've joked about it because what else is there to do? But my wife is like, my God. Yeah, no, I, I agree with your wife. That is really freaky, especially like three and a half weeks later. That's... The Prince thing was, like, horrifying because it had just happened with Tom Petty, and that was the closest. That was, like, six weeks, and then Prince was, like, three and a half weeks, and it was, like, what the fucking fuck? That, yeah. There's no way to come back from this story, by the way. There's no way for me to, like, transition into uh, (laughs) our favorite movie soundtrack. No, that reminds me of the whole 27 Club thing. I also think this might just have something to do with the type of music I'm attracted to. These people are clearly sort of self-destructive with all this substance abuse, so maybe that's just like the type of music my personality gravitates towards. Yeah, I yeah, I guess so. I could see that. <sighs> but that yeah, that's that is a fun fact, but that's not very fun. Not fun at all. No. <laughs> JR is not so fun cool. fact of the week. our top five movie soundtracks now i think there's something special about movie soundtracks don't you tate yes love them they're an eclectic group they're basically compilation albums like some of the albums we're going to talk about have some original songs that were that were composed for the movie that we're referring to however when you think about like a good movie soundtrack you're thinking of basically 12 to 14 random bits of music that make up a great work of art. And that's why I love the idea of this category. This entire top five movie soundtrack idea comes from one of the movies I have in my top five. So I will hand the keys over to you first because I'm having trouble speaking clearly. Um, (laughs) What was your first favorite movie soundtrack? These are in no particular order. Sure. But my first one... Garden State. Oh, yeah. The 2004 movie with Zach Braff and Natalie Portman. Mm-hmm. That was one of the first movies that I saw and was like, oh, I love the music in this. I need to go like buy the CD. Big fan. It has some Coldplay, The Shins, Simon and Garfunkel, which, I mean, there, there, there will be a pattern in some of my movies that I'm going to list. But, yes, love that movie. Um, actually, one of one of the scenes in it, the two characters are kissing, overlooking this like giant pit in the rain, and they're listening to the song "The Only Living Boy in New York" by Simon and Garfunkel, and they kiss. And during that scene, 
that was the first time me and my high school boyfriend <gasps> kissed. We were watching it on DVD, and we kissed at the same scene. And so that's what that song will now always remind me of. Was that your first? <laughs> that wasn't your first kiss, was it? No, my first kiss was actually in the movie theater watching the movie Taxi with Jimmy Fallon <laughs> and Queen Latifah. And you know what the crazy thing is? I'm pretty sure someone that we both know had their first kiss to that same movie. Someone that we both know? Are we not allowed to say their name? Well, I don't want to out him because I also could be getting the facts wrong, but okay. I swear to God, it's okay. that same movie. Tell me offline. I mean, there's like his, four his, people it could be. <laughs> his name rhymes rhymes with smile. <laughs> Oh, man. Poor Kyle Van Duho is just getting raped over the coals. <laughs> I thought, I'll text him, but he'll... No, we're keeping this in, by the way, and he's going to confirm or deny via our Twitter account at so many screens. <laughs> yes, I hope he listens. This is how we'll know he listens. Yes, yes. Oh, that's good. Oh, yeah, Garden State. The Natalie Portman character is the idealized, like, manic pitsy dream girl character that, yes. like, becomes a little repetitive in the early 2000s, but she's the first. And uh, so in that way, I don't think she's that bad. Yeah. She, yes. The second movie I have also has similar yeah. characters. Yeah, I saw that. Um, okay, so this is in no particular order either, but if if this was in any order, this would probably be my number one, and it is High Fidelity. The 2000 movie starring John Cusack as Rob Gordon. He's a record shop owner in Wicker Park, Chicago. The entire concept of the movie is that he breaks up with his girlfriend and he goes back and questions all of his ex-girlfriends to figure out what's wrong with him. And the only way he knows how to communicate with people is basically through what they like. And that's through top five lists. So top five favorite songs to break up to. Top five favorite songs that remind him of his ex-girlfriend. Top five favorite songs about Monday. And uh, I really like that whole framework. And I think this entire podcast, if we want it to be every week, would just be us arguing about our top five. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I love a good list. If anyone hasn't seen this movie or the most recent Hulu serialized TV version starring Zoe Kravitz, watch it. The music for both the movie and the TV show are iconic. They're both done by Nick Hornby, the uh, writer of the novel that this is based off of. This is one of my favorite movies of all time and one of the best soundtracks. The Taints, Elvis Costello, Velvet Underground, Stereo Lab, Smod, and Royal Trucks. I mean, you can't go wrong with a single song on this album. Check it out. I need to watch that movie. Yes, I've never seen it. You have to watch the TV show more than you have to watch a movie. But yes, I think you'll like both. Okay. My next one, pretty similar to the one I just had. 500 Days of Summer. Oh, boy. Yes, I know. I used to be obsessed with this movie. It came out going into my senior year of high school, mm -hmm. and I was still dating this guy. <laughs> same and, guy. Like, I was like, yeah, same guy. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm Summer. And he's... Joseph Gordon-Levitt. What was his name? The soundtrack is Regina Spector, The Smiths, Hall & Oates, Temper Trap, more Simon & Garfunkel. Mm -hmm. So it was very up my alley. I still have the CD. It's one of the ones I need to get rid of. But yeah, I mean, all in all, just like some classic indie bops. Yep. I like it. I learned who The Smiths were. Of course. And that was like, yeah, I mean, every indie boy was like obsessed with The Smiths and Morrissey, so... I thought I would fit in. So I said earlier that the Natalie Portman manic pitsy dream girl character works in Garden State. And boy, does Zoe Deschanel's character take it to a new level in 500 Days of Summer. I'm currently mm -hmm. rewatching New Girl because I wanted something light to like fall asleep to put on at the end of the night. And 
I cannot stand her. It's amazing that I sit and watch this show, but if you've seen New Girl, you watch it for the characters around her. You watch it for the Nick and the Schmidt. It's so hard dealing with her, like, stupid, like, bid-eyed... I don't know. I, I have some problems with her, if you can't tell. I'm, I, I really don't like the character. <laughs> I loved her and i got my bangs cut like oh man yeah i saw her i saw her band with m ward uh she and him i saw them in boston one time and yeah i I was very much in a zoe deschanel phase okay so we're gonna disagree on that because i hate her and uh i think she's not very talented she's just born to two rich parents who worked in hollywood next one for me is the movie drive Drive is a 2011 action drama film by a Danish filmmaker starring Ryan Dossling. He's an unnamed Hollywood stunt driver who moonlights as a getaway driver for the mob. The cast is Ryan Dossling, Carey Mulligan, Oscar Isaac, Brian Cranston, Christina Hendricks, Ron Perlman, and Albert Brooks. Like a murderer's row of acting talent, all of them at like various peaks in their career. The entire vibe of this movie is like kind of a synth pop, dark, goth, nighttime movie because he's always doing these like late night getaways after robbing a place. And the sound, there's no other way to describe it, just that this electronic like deepness to it. So the whole score of the movie is electronic music. Night Call, the theme song of the movie, is uh, by a French electronic musician named Kavinsky. Some of the iconic songs, Night Call, Under Your Spell, A Real Hero, they are the type of songs you would listen to, Tate, if you were driving home after a long night of like some mistakes and you're just kind of staring out the front <laughs> of your windshield. The headlights that the other cars are kind of washing over you, they kind of just put you in a trance and uh, it's, it's, it's great. I forgot about Carrie Mulligan. Like, what happened to her? My number three is The Royal Tenenbaums oh, I from love it. 2001. Yes, I love that movie. I love Wes Anderson movies. Haven't seen any of... Well, not any, but I think there's like two new ones I haven't seen. Mm -hmm. But his soundtracks are always really good. We have The Clash, Velvet Underground, yep. Elliot Smith, The Ramones, and I believe there's also some Simon and Garfunkel. Oh, wow. Weird. A weird departure for you. <laughs> I know. I know. I was looking at this. I'm like, why is Simon and Garfunkel in every fucking movie on my list? But... Yeah, I mean, that's a great movie. It's about, like, a very eccentric family. There's three kids. Gwen Paltrow is one of them. Luke Wilson. Yeah. Owen Wilson. Great movie. It's a little weird. Go watch it if you haven't already that seen it. That run of Wes Anderson movies, Life Aquatic, Royal Tenenbaums, and then my number three, Rushmore. I also have a Wes Anderson movie on mine. That is, like... Wes Anderson at his finest. That's like the golden era of Wes Anderson movies. So yeah, Rushmore, a young Jason Schwartzman, Bill Murray, incredible movie about like a young kid in private school trying to figure it out. That kind of that angsty teenager feeling. So we have some angsty teenager music by The Who, Cat Stevens, The Tinks, John Lennon, Faces, Ooh La La, played at my wedding. I, I can't get enough of it. This is a show, This is a movie that I watched in like a high school film class and revisit it every few years. Definitely holds up because I was in high school a long fucking time ago. 
I yeah, I I actually watched Rushmore with the high school ex-boyfriend. <laughs> this guy, I mean, like, is your real boyfriend gonna get mad about the, how much burn this guy's getting on this episode of so many screens? No, it's just weird that these are all like tying into each other. He, he I mean, I pray to God this guy never listens to this. <laughs> but if he does, make sure you follow the social accounts at so many screens. <laughs> I actually have a Rushmore post in our Instagram draft. Let's do it. Let's do it. Um, yeah, it's a good one. We share uh, okay. this next one. Yes. Yes. Well, I was going to take it off, but I was like, you know what? It was on my list before I saw yours. So that means like I must really like it. So just keep it. So Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes. Yeah. I mean, great music. The, the music is what makes the movie what it is. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, how could we not include it? Uh, I mean, there's classic rock. There's that one song I love. Wham, bam. Shangalam. <laughs> I just love that song. Um, I, I honestly don't even know what else is in it. Just every classic rock good song. Hooked on a feeling. Yeah. Come and get your love. Peter Quill, the protagonist of the movie, he's tearing around a Walkman. And it's his mix tape that his mom gave him. The Awesome Mix Volume 1 and the second movie, Awesome Mix Volume 2. So the entire soundtrack is tailored off of this list every song you hear in the movie is on this list this soundtrack in 2014 was like revolutionary it brought back all these bands that people hadn't heard since the 70s blue suede elvin bishop redbone these guys suddenly had charts topping songs again four decades after the fact the awesome mix volume one reached the top of the billboard 200 chart and it became the first soundtrack album consisting entirely of previously released songs to hit the top of the charts by the end of the year, it was the second best-selling soundtrack album, of course, to Frozen. Nothing fucking beat Frozen with half a million copies at the time. Like, this was great. I remember seeing this movie in theaters, immediately going home and downloading the soundtrack off Spotify. It is a rare thing in the later 2000s, in the aughts, if you will, that a superhero movie inspires you to download a movie soundtrack. Yeah, agreed. I went and, after I watched it, went on Spotify and found... Um, Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and 2 playlist. And that's all I listened to for like a full week. This one is going to age me a little bit. It's going to out me as a basketball fan. It's going to out me as a Michael Jordan fan. But there is no topping the Space Jam soundtrack from when I was a young boy. Yes. (laughs) It's bizarre. It's iconic. It's forever culturally relevant. The first five songs of this soundtrack, four of them are like, chart-defining, like, era-defining songs. Fly Like an Eagle by Seal. Space Mm. Jam by the Quad City DJs. And like him or not, you probably shouldn't like him. I Believe I Can Fly by R. Kelly. I mean, are you fucking kidding me? These songs defined me as a young man, Kate. I love Space Jam. (laughs) I don't know if I've ever mentioned that, but that's one of my favorite movies of all time. Wow. And you're not a big sports person. No, but I love... Uh, I guess Looney Tunes. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I, I actually, I swear to God, I was just playing basketball like 20 minutes ago with my parents and that's what I put on. You the did? The Space Jam soundtrack. Nice. Yes. Nice. So Yeah. Good. And I, yeah, I mean, I love the little, the nerd lux is what they're called. The little alien dudes. Little Martians. Yeah. Yeah. And I always say, <laughs> this is going to be really stupid. You can cut this out. But I always say, nutty, wacky, Looney. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trotting that out. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm obsessed with them, and I, I think I look like one of them. Oh, really? 
The pink one, the short one. The I always think one. that's me. I don't remember which one that is, but okay. No, oh, the short one. No, he becomes the Muggsy Bogues one, the one who can dribble really well. <laughs> yeah, the, I've seen this movie so many goddamn times. I mean, Bill Murray, Larry Bird. Just, oh. just the cast is the cast is incredible, and then you got my favorite basketball player, my favorite person of all time, Michael Jordan, in the center of it all. Okay, my last one, kind of random, the Bling Ring soundtrack from 2013. I respect this. Okay, good, because this movie came out my junior year of college, and this has like a whole slew of just like a it's just a great mix, like drop it low. Mm-hmm. Um, a Gucci bag, we got Dead Mouse, uh, MIA, Rick Ross, Lil Wayne, Sleigh Bells. Crown on the Ground, which is in the trailer. Yes. Is one of these songs where, and this is, you know, douchey Californian here, like, I was walking through the Coachella Festival grounds and I heard it being played by Sleigh Bells, and like, we stopped in our tracks and hadn't heard it before, and we're like, what is that? Yeah, that is a great song. I mean, when my sorority friends and I, we were obsessed with this movie and the soundtrack, and I swear to God, that's all we would pregame to for, like, the whole rest of the second semester. We, we were obsessed with the bling ring. Now, the movie itself, eh, I thought it was passable fine. I saw it in the movie theater with an ex-girlfriend, and she was interested in the story, celebrity part of it, but... The soundtrack is definitely what stands out, to me at least. Yeah. I mean, the acting in the movie kind of sucks. Yeah. But the story is true. Great soundtrack. This one, I actually, this one came to me like very last minute. I'm like, yeah. oh, that's a great soundtrack. 100%. I mean, all these artists, Dead Mouse, Phoenix, Frank Ocean, they're still very popular now, MIA. But at the time, in 2013, that's when like they're peaking. That's when they're at their best, in my opinion. So great call. Love it. Space Jam and Blind Ring. Rounding us out here. Okay, we only have a few minutes left. What are we listening to right now, Tay? What's something that maybe people haven't tuned in or maybe just through quarantine? What have you been focusing on from a musical perspective? Do you have any band recommendations that we can uh, give to the listeners? I'll give two that I feel like people aren't probably listening to a lot. Claro. Ooh, I don't know Claro. She is a singer Mm -hmm. um she's pretty young but i i don't remember how i discovered her but she has a few songs that were in that show on hbo betty that i really loved Mm -hmm. um so yeah she's got this like indie lo-fi vibe i just really like her songs she has some pretty good uh bangers well they're not really bangers they're like pretty low-key but (laughs) um another band i just discovered is called wise blood and it's Yes, it's spelled W-E-Y-E-S, blood. Okay. But I don't know much about this band. Well, it's actually a a female singer that goes by Wise Blood, but she has a few songs. There's one called Andromeda. That's just like a beautiful song. I don't even really know how to describe it. She apparently doesn't like being described as indie rock. But that's the type of music you would describe it as. (laughs) I mean, yeah, it's got like a little bit of like, I guess electronic feel, but it's not. I don't really know. It kind of reminds me of um, Florence and the Machine a little bit. Gotcha. So Andromeda's a great song. Movies is a great song. Anything off of her Titanic Rising album, amazing. Highly recommend. New favorite. Nice. Okay, cool. I'll check both those out. I will give one recommendation really quick. It's a band called Camp. They've been on the scene for about three or four years. Two dudes from Ohio, Evan and Taylor. They have three albums out. 
their debut album, which is also called Camp, spelled C-A-A-M-P. It's just two guys, one guy singing, one guy playing the banjo. I know that sounds super fucking, like, folksy indie. There's just this sound of Taylor's voice. He's got one of these voices when you hear it where you go, like, that dude was born to be a singer. He's got this gravelly, smoked too many cigarettes, had his heart broken too many times, and their songs... I wouldn't call them bops. I'd call them, like, just head nodders. You just sit there on your porch, you throw a denim jacket on, you drink some beer, and you look out at the sun setting on your farm, even if you have none of these things, and that's the fucking feeling you're in. Really nice, light listening for quarantine. I've seen them live now twice. Not a great live band. Two dudes just standing up there, one singing, one playing the banjo. Wouldn't recommend it, but (laughs) albums, incredible. I have a really tailored camp playlist that i have on my spotify i might try to share it in some way maybe i'll put it in the show notes maybe we should do a, a playlist or something like that i don't know we'll we'll talk about it but um fun. i definitely would recommend a little bit of camp to uh help your quarantine out guys this is a long episode of so many streams but this has been a fun episode talking all things music kate anything else we need to talk about before we go make sure you follow us on instagram and twitter at so many screens and be sure to leave us reviews yeah we love reviews yeah we've gotten some nice ones yeah i mean keep those going they always help us out rate subscribe tell a friend yeah do all those things kate is running the social media towns at least for the next week entirely tate i am moving to southern california the next time i talk to you guys hopefully not in an eternal loop at a wedding but we'll see (laughs) have a great rest of your week guys and we'll talk to you soon bye guys